This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Hi, I'm Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. I am the CEO of a company called WeThrive.Live, my keynote speaker and an executive coach. And you are tuning in to our Future of Work series here on the podcast. I am passionate about the shift that we are in as a society And I believe it's the greatest shift that we've been in since the shift from the agricultural age to the industrial age model of work, where the work construct has such a significant impact on society. And in 2020, we experienced a global shutdown, global trauma, which led us into years worth of reflection on what success really is and what we want our lives to be. And I believe that we're still in this bit of chaotic shift trying to decide what the right answer is. And what I'm seeing is a much needed and necessary shift to where our sense of worth and our sense of value doesn't come from our achievements and our work title but comes from us knowing us. And I believe that is the shift that we have needed for some time because the way that we were working was leading us straight to an epidemic of burnout. And while this time of chaotic shift is full of uncertainty and many leaders trying to figure out what is the answer, I wholeheartedly believe that the future belongs to those leaders who are willing to be creatives who are willing to create the future of work. And I want to be a part of that effort. And so this series is dedicated to interviewing people and asking them, what do you think the future of work could and should be? What problems should we solve? What ideas should we consider? And by doing this series, it will lead us into our own sense of reflection as leaders and as employees on what do we want? How do we want work to feel? and As we make this shift, I believe as we change the work, we can change the world into a society that honors each of our uniqueness and honors the value that we bring into an organization. So if we can change the work, we can change the world because, you know, making money just ought to feel better. So I'm glad you're here. Today's episode, I am thrilled to bring you Andrea Moorhead which if you are from the Indianapolis area, she was probably in your living room on your TV set for many, many years. She is a celebrated news anchor. She has seven Emmy Awards. She's currently a brand ambassador for HSN. She's a keynote speaker, a writer. She's a beautiful light, but she has suffered from workplace abuse and is now an advocate for this growing challenge that we have in the workplace. And so what we do know is the future of work has to eradicate not only burnout, but workplace abuse. And Andrea is spearheading this effort 
and using her audience, using her story to elevate this into law, into more than just a conversation. In fact, she told me off the episode that there are 76 million people currently suffering from workplace abuse, and 30% of those, it's happening daily, and some are ending in suicide. This is a real problem. But the episode today isn't Andrea talking about the darkness. It's Andrea talking about what happens when you step out of the darkness and take your life back and the light that exists on the other side of this. So I can't wait for you to be inspired by Andrea and her story. She is a beautiful light, but she shares about this journey of getting to this place. And I want to also say at the front of this that if you go to endworkplaceabuse.com, you can find a lot of information there and go to Workplace Psychological Safety Act. And if you are in this situation and you need to report it, there's a way that you can do that. Massachusetts has just passed this into law and many other states are now looking to do so as well, ultimately looking for this to become a federal law. So Andrea, thank you for bringing this important topic out into the open, into the light. I can't wait for you to hear from Andrea. Here we go. Now listen, I know people meet you all the time because of your public eye, but I just feel like you and I were at an event somewhere that we met years ago, but I can't place it. So yeah, I feel like I've met you before. I feel like I've known you. So yeah, small city. I think we probably run in some similar circles. I'm excited oh, yeah. to have this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm excited to yeah. be with you and to yeah. talk and hopefully uplift some people, encourage mm-hmm. them. Amen. Let me give you the context of this series and why I think your message is so integral to it. So I am in the process of writing my second book, and it's about the future of work. And I coined the phrase, the age of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I have a framework that I use in my coaching and my consulting called Business is Human. And it is very simple, but it's born out of my decades of work in leadership consulting where The needs of the business and the needs of humans are very different, and the best leaders and companies know how to connect those in a meaningful way. The business needs to control, measure, and optimize. We've got goals, we've got metrics, we've got revenue that needs to come in. That's fine. That's good. But we as humans are personal, emotional, and social. And over time, we started treating ourselves like a business, or leaders expected us to treat ourselves like a business, and we lost too much of our humanity in the midst. Mm -hmm. And I want to reclaim that. Honestly, if if I think back to the agricultural age of society, we got a lot more things right back in our days of survival than we did in in the last 120 years. We lost a lot of our sense of humanity, and your story about the dark side of that, I think, is an important one that Either people dismiss or they just haven't been close enough to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think because so many people have been silent. So many people don't say anything. They tell their family members, their loved ones, their partner, their spouse, their children, their family, their immediate close family and friends know what's going on. Even coworkers who have been even bullied themselves in the workplace. We all speak to each other and we know what's going on. But to speak truth to power to those people who are in the position to hold other people accountable, including themselves, and to make a change, they are so resistant. And so anytime someone decides to say, this is inhumane, this is unethical, this isn't right, 
We need to hold each other accountable. The checks and balances aren't working. We need to check and balance one another. When people do that, the powers that be are uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you resist. And that resistance is what is happening, I believe, in the world is this tug and this pull, this back and this forth. It's like, no, I've got the power. No, I've got the power. And when that is in existence, it is this quagmire that we continue to go down and down. It's this rabbit hole that people become so entrenched with the power and the desire to not lose it that they literally lose their souls. Mm-hmm. They lose their souls. And here I am at 54 years old. You know, I've been in the business since I was 17 and I've worked in some wonderful places, which is why I knew that what I was experiencing was not just unconscionable and egregious, but it was wrong. It was an offense to humanity. We talk about the microaggressions and the gaslighting, even the racism, the discrimination, even against people with disabilities. And yet those moments, those little trickles or or trinkets, they are the microcosm of the bigger issue, which is the lack of humanity. Because humanity means that I see you. Humanity means that I hear you. Humanity means that I'm listening to you. I don't just see and hear you, but I'm feeling you. And I have empathy and compassion. And I'm not just saying that I'm putting my feet in your shoes. I'm really putting my feet in your shoes. And I'm trying to walk and understand. And at the very least, when people speak up, we're not doing it because we're going to get something better. Nine times out of 10, it's retribution. It's retaliation. It's people not believing your story. So I ask people, what do we gain by telling the truth? Nobody asks for that. Nobody asks for the retaliation, the retribution, the investigations, the following around, the intimidation, all of those bad things. No one wants for that. Mm -hmm. No one wants for that. But that's what people in powerful positions do because they're trying to maintain the status quo. I'm always and have always been about the spirit of humanity. I got into the business of journalism because of humanity. I believe that there's enough to go around that all of us, all of us can and should be able to thrive. But when there are people in positions of power who know that they are in a position of power, who can decide what you get, what you don't, how much you get, how much you don't, and they are in a position of power to pit people against each other, it literally does become survival of the fittest. I didn't sign up to be on the TV show Survivor. Didn't do it. In fact, I know people love shows like that. I believe that it's probably one of the most denigrating shows. I mean, I I get it about strategy and trying Mm -hmm. to become number one, but what happens is people begin to lie. People gaslight. People dehumanize one another, all in the desire to climb to the top and to win. I'm not in competition with anyone in life. We We all can win. I'm always in competition with myself. Is that what did I do yesterday that I might have failed or didn't meet the mark, my mark that I've set for myself? And how can I improve the next day? I'm in competition with myself. How can I be better? including how can I be a better human being? Does it mean that I'm perfect? No, but it does mean that when I am aware of something that I've ever have either said or done to someone that I hold myself accountable. I look at the woman in the mirror and say, you know what? That wasn't right. 
in my spirit of discernment and my desire to make sure that I am connecting with people and that they understand my intentions along the way, that's important to me, very important to me. And I never want to leave a conversation, a moment, a scenario where I'm in commune with other people, with people not understanding who I am and what I'm bringing to the table and that I am pulling and rooting for them. I'm not in competition. But unfortunately, this world is all about competition. It's about climbing to the top and people will do whatever they need to do to win. And what I often say is once you get to the top, then what? Then Then you're going to do whatever you can do to stay there because you're the insecurity that I feel and see from clients, even once they get to the top, that's the scariest, loneliest place to be. And I think if you don't have quality character traits, that's when it starts to really get ugly because your fear starts to really light up that insecurity and really bad behavior. It's interesting. This is a follow-up from a conversation that I had yesterday, an episode that's going to come out. And I was telling the story of a client who's in a Fortune 50 company. She's responsible for $22 billion in sales and is leaving an organization after 16 years because she said, you know what, Rebecca? I love my team. We're very collaborative. We're very connected. We take the best idea. It doesn't matter whose it is. And she said, but with my peers, she said, it's like Hunger Games every day. day. And oh my gosh, I just got chills when she said that because it evokes memories from all of us when you do feel like you're in that battle for your life and you're like, I'm at work, y'all. I shouldn't be battling for my life. This is crazy. That's exactly it. You're so right. I mean, It is. It's Survivor. It's all of those shows that people love to watch. But I do believe that it really speaks more about who we are as people and as humans that we don't want to see each other win. I'm not in a competition with anyone else, as I said earlier, but myself. And for me, when I realized the person you just spoke about in this Fortune 500 company, that this environment was no longer good for me, I had to literally sit back and go, okay, this is my dream career. I've been doing it for so long. I'm in my hometown. I love what I do. I love giving back. I really believe that journalism is a ministry of service. And for those of us listeners that are listening from outside of Indianapolis, we all know you because you've been in our living rooms for years and we are very familiar with you. But tell the others about who you are in this dream career that you've been able to bring to us here in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, I've known since I was in fourth grade when I used to live in Oklahoma City, which is where I was born back in 1969. And my fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Cotton. And so I had the benefit of having her as my teacher in fourth grade. And I will never forget, she asked one day, all of the kids, what do we want to be when we grow up? And I literally said, I want to be that lady in, in the TV. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there was this lady on television. And believe it or not, in the fourth grade, I was actually watching 2020 on Friday evenings with Barbara Walters. This was back in the day. It was Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs. So on Friday nights, when everyone else was outside, I was inside watching this just 2020. I just loved it. And so I didn't know exactly what that was. And I talked to my mom and dad and they explained that it was, you know, it was a journalist. And that began my love for everything media and television. But I got, as I mentioned earlier, into the business to serve people, to tell stories that inspire people, even maybe aspire you, inspire people to be better in life and to give to other people. Like, that's why I love it so much. 
And so, yeah, I started working, went to school in D.C. and Howard University undergrad. And then after that, I was working throughout that time at ABC, working for Ted Koppel back in the day when he used to do Nightline. I was one of their interns. I started working in media after college in Newark, New Jersey, actually in New Brunswick. I was a media intern for a year. So I traveled around to all these companies, radio and TV stations, and I literally learned the business. And from there, I got my first TV job working for a cable outlet in Worcester, Massachusetts. Then from there, went back to Indianapolis, was behind the scenes working as a producer. And my news director there, new news director in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who said, hey, I've got this wonderful young lady. I was in my mid-20s at the time. I think I was about 25, 26. And it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I went there and was there for about three years from 96 to 99. And in 1999, I went to Indianapolis, my hometown. And I went as the 5.30 and the 10 p.m. anchor. So I was there for 22 years. So imagine 29 years old, 250. There's a lot growing up that is done. 100%. Yeah. In addition to becoming much wiser and the kind of deer in the headlight, just so excited to be in the business and I'm working, the bail, if you will, is lifted. And you begin to really understand the business. You understand yourself. You understand people. And over the years, I just got to the point where, as I mentioned earlier, my soul was dying and I was asking for accountability and the powers that be refused to hold anyone accountable, including themselves. And so I had a come to Jesus moment one day. I was doing a story and it was one of those stories about George Floyd. And we all remember that back in 2020 and how horrendous it was. It brought the entire world together. And for a brief moment, Rebecca, I really thought, okay, here is this moment, this spirit of reckoning as it relates to humanity. And here I was in a workplace where I did not feel as if my humanity was being taken seriously. I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being heard. And again, that is one of the most isolating feelings ever in the world when you are asking for help and the people who can help refuse to do anything. And because of that, that story aired and it hit me after it aired, after the 6 p.m. news broadcast. I literally, Rebecca, looked at my phone. I was talking to the producer, getting ready to discuss what I was going to do for the second part for the 11 p.m. show. And in that moment, I literally heard God tell me, this is your last, this is your last show. Because what happened, the story that aired was about women of diverse backgrounds, white women, black women, grandmothers, mothers, women who were talking about how that moment, how George Floyd, how watching him die and watching him take his last breath, how that impacted them. And I realized that I, my life, what I was experiencing, thank God I didn't die. But what I was experiencing had been a George Floyd moment. Again, I wasn't valued. My life didn't mean anything to them. My asking for help, even screaming out to them for help as George was screaming for his mother, I wasn't believed. I wasn't given the benefit of my humanity. And it just, for me, felt like the perfect way to leave. I walked downstairs told my husband, I said, I'm never going back there. Because to go back would have been to be a hypocrite. It would have been for me to tell a story of pain and hurt of others. And yet here I am, also one of these women, one of these Black people, one person connected to this chain of humanity that we were all connected to in this world, asking for change, to see people for who they are. And yet 
here I am in an environment that doesn't see me and value me. So I had to make a decision. It was a decision literally to save my soul. And I know it was the right thing because I'm looking better than ever. I'm thriving in a way that I never did. You do look amazing. Oh, you're sweet. You're sweet. Isn't it funny how the absence of that strain and stress every day has Mm -hmm. an impact on your cellular structure? I posted one for me one time. I was like, look at me eight years ago. I look younger now than I did eight years ago because Mm -hmm. I've let go of so many of the things that attached to me that made me feel less than or made me feel like not myself. Right. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Don't think that it has an effect. It's better than Botox, baby. (laughs) It's so funny because I did this other podcast with someone a couple of weeks ago and she said, okay, last question. I just want to know, what's your facial regimen? What are you using? I hate to break it to you. I'm like, it's not very expensive. It's very inexpensive. She's like, well, what is it? Like, what's the brand? I'm like, it's called Joy. That's what it is. It's called Joy. It's free. And I said, I chose myself and I chose to live in a place that I feel protected, in a place that I feel safe. I'm with people. I'm choosing who I work with. And that has been the best, the best prescription ever. So even though I went through a very traumatic experience, I am so grateful because now I chose myself. And again, the environment wasn't going to change. I had to change my environment. And I always say, as a believer, God allows things. When things happen, he uses them. It still is used for your good. I know in the 100%. moment, we never, it, we never see it. We're like, how is this going to be good? I'm out of a job. I don't have, you know, I'm not in my home city anymore. I love what I did. How is this going to work? But I look at pictures now. I look at how things are literally organically coming to me without having to look for it or search for it or strive for it. God says, I will take care of you. That's his promise. And I literally had to walk away and said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make this work for me and for my family, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I inherently <laughs> trust you. And so when things happen in life, I just go, okay, it is what it is. I can't change when things happen. All I just I can- said that to someone last night. Yeah. I said, I all just I go, do- okay, I wonder what that's going to mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All I can do is respond. And so my response in life to everything is, I don't sweat it. You know, when you go through breast cancer, which I do believe the stress of all that I was going through gave me the breast cancer, because as I've learned after going through therapy, is that your body, our bodies are talking to us. We get sleepy because what? We're sleepy. Your body is- We need to sleep. (laughs) We need to sleep. It's telling you, you need to sleep. Your body is telling you it's diseased by diseases because our bodies are diseased. They're not comfortable. Our bodies are telling us you need to do something else to protect me. And that work environment was not a protective environment for me. And once I walked away, I mean, Rebecca, you talk about the freedom, oh my God, into the joy, into the peace that I have now, I could never, ever go back. And so people ask me all the time, are you going to ever come back? Are you? I'm like, no, that is an old chapter. I'm now in a better chapter of my mm. life. Love and peace and freedom. And I'm using my experience to help other people. I just spoke to a woman yesterday from... The UK from London, out of the clear blue, she's like, I've been seeing your things on LinkedIn. I want to talk with you. And all she needed was for someone to listen and to hear her story and to be validated and to be affirmed. Because moments like this, you're like, okay, is it just me? Is this in my head? What's going on? And when she realized, okay, there's someone else who was going through this, that if someone who is in the public eye in a position like hers 
who was speaking out about what she experienced. And what she experienced literally mirrors what I have experienced. It is affirming because it lets you know that you're not alone. And I was alone, which is the reason why I'm such an advocate now. I was all by myself. And people who saw it, people who even experienced it themselves, not my story to share, but no one wanted to speak up and speak out. And I'm just that woman. I've always been that person who speaks for the underdog. It's made you great on the news. What's made you a great reporter. You're using those gifts and talents that are God-given gifts and talents now in a different way. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I even said, God, when you saved me from cancer, because I knew he would, I said, I promise I will serve. I will do it. I like, I was making bets with him. A hundred percent. No, that is like, I promise just keep me alive because I've got a, at the time he was 13 years old. He's now 16, but I'm like, please keep me alive because Ian needs me. My husband needs me, my family and all of the plans that we have for our own personal lives. But in that moment when you're in distress and your body is diseased, you are making bets. I'm like, God, please keep me alive. I promise. I promise. I promise. Now I was always doing that, but I never knew that that promise would look like what it is today. Mm -hmm. I want people to take away from that really strongly from this episode is that it's counterintuitive. We have been taught and shown for years that we're supposed to have a plan. We're supposed to have Mm -hmm. it figured out. We're supposed to have this all mapped out. And even you who had a plan and had it all mapped out, there comes a time sometimes when that plan needs to shift and we don't need to have it figured out. We just have to have an open mind and open heart and open hands to receive whatever that is. And that is the most beautiful place to be when you can unclench your fist from the striving way of life and just say, I wonder what's out there for me. And that's what I'm watching you do, even though it came from painful experiences. You're using it in a way that is affirming people in London and here on LinkedIn and everywhere people can receive your story tells them, it may not be my exact story, but if she can recover from this in a way that makes her life light and bright and beautiful, maybe I can't too. That's it. And I cannot tell you how many times I wake up in the morning between emails, DMs, LinkedIn messages, all of it through all of the social media platforms where women are saying, people, because there's not just women, but people who have been in this situation before where they're like, thank you. They just say, thank you. Thank you for affirming what I know is going on. Thank you for helping me make a decision about my life. Thank you for opening my eyes that, you know what? I need to start preparing to walk away. And thank you for giving me the effrontery to say, this is what it is. It's true. And if the environment won't change, I need to change because if I don't, I'm not going to thrive. I'm all about thriving. Everybody has the right to thrive. Thriving is our birthright. God yes. wants all of us to thrive, not some of us. He wants all of us. With to prosperity. With He's prosperity. ready to bring it on. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I just say all the time, I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what you're up to. This has happened. I can't control it. I trust you. I don't know what it is. I don't know how we're going to fix it. But whatever it is, you always come through. And every single time my husband and I go, in a moment where we're like, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? What are we going to do? Two months, even two weeks later or three weeks later, we're like, I get it. Like, God, you were so There we go. I think the future of work is more about the individual. In the past, it's been very much a hierarchy. It's been very much about the company. And I believe that the future of work is we 
as individuals own our power and our uniqueness and our authenticity. And then we go choose where we're going to use our gifts and talents in a beautiful way. And it will ebb and flow and shift more than the old way of thinking, you know, back, remember when our parents used to talk about a pension, right? Right. It's not about controlling, it's about connecting in whatever way is what I'm hearing from you as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's something that really wonderful happened post-COVID. And that is we realized that we can still get along without being in connection with each other physically in an office. And so many people who were called to come back, many of them said, I don't want to, because they enjoyed working remotely, because they were tired of working in environments where it was hostile or they were feeling unappreciated or not valued, or they were dealing with the microaggressions from the bullies in the newsroom or wherever you were. And you just got to the point where you're like, well, life has got to be better because it was good when it was at home, but now they're asking me to come back. There's something to be said about when you are feeling that you are in a place of protection, how I believe it makes you better. You know, if all of us are thriving, I am excited about, what's your idea, Rebecca? What do you have? What do you have? I don't have all the great ideas. I learn from being in companionship and collaboration with other people. That is my jam. Like I'm just getting goosebumps just thinking about like I get excited. And I think you're absolutely right. I believe that as more people begin to talk about workplace abuse, because that's really what it is. There's now a name to it. And it's not just bullying, it's abuse. And I never understood that until I was with my therapist who literally said after explaining just a few things that had taken place in my initial consult with her, She says, you should be dead right now. She literally got a napkin and began wiping her face because she was crying with me. And she just said, I'm so happy you're here. And I'm so thankful that you're seeking help because based on what you're telling me already, you should be dead right now. And that's when I knew that I had made the right decision. But it's taking people like me and you who are willing to have these uncomfortable conversations with people and say, we can do better. This is within our power. It really is. The cure for this is in our hands. It's right up here. All we have to do is be courageous enough to speak about what's going on and be courageous enough to say, this is unconscionable. We're not going to tolerate it. This is going to be like a no tolerance zone for abuse. And when we see it, those people are out. And if more of us swing the pendulum in the other direction, I believe you're absolutely right. Each of us individually have to be committed to not just being our best personally, but watching out for our brothers and our sisters and holding people accountable. If more people like that, if we showed up in workplaces like that, yes. and if we had it from the top down, because it does start from the top, that starts with leadership. And I've always said, if I ever had a company, everybody would know what Andrea stands for. When they do, they already do. But they will surely know, oh no, this Andrea doesn't tolerate that. Oh no, she doesn't <laughs> want the cussing in the newsroom. She doesn't want cursing. These are the things that she stands for. And when they begin to feel as if they are safe in those environments, they literally will jump on board. They'll jump on the bandwagon and then all of us are going in the same direction. And if someone falls off, that's okay. That's meant for them not to be in, right. in, in a bandwagon with us because we're not in the bandwagon of nasty. We're in the bandwagon for humanity. And if you don't want to be in that humanity bandwagon, then get to run somewhere else and go in the other direction because we're moving forward. I'm doing some just rough math. I mean, 52% of the world works in some way. If you just go United States, it's about 59%. If we change the work to create safe workplaces, to have this kind of humanity connection, there's the societal shift 
there's, there was a there's the numbers. All you need is the work to be different and you literally change society. It's like if everybody just does their work, if you do your work and show up and do right by people, that becomes the norm. Why are we allowing the bullying and the workplace abuse to become the norm? Why are we all of a sudden reimagining what politics are about? I mean, it's gaslighting and lying and just not being honest. When do we allow that to become the norm? What's your story about that? Because you had a period of time before you finally said, I'm going to go call a therapist. Something said, this doesn't feel right. So you called Mm -hmm. someone to help you. But what do you think it was? And we all have this experience. So this isn't pointing fingers. This is sharing and collaborating. But what do you think it is about us that allows us to tolerate bad behavior longer than we should? What was your experience there? You know what? Because I truly believe that people can change. I believe that people can grow. And I want to give people the ability to do so. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we're not perfect. But I believe we should allow ourselves to, to learn, to continue to grow, to change our ideas, to understand people, to listen. And if we need to make changes, that's okay. Isn't that what life is about? Who I was at 29 is not who I am at 50. Oh, preach, girl. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just not. Yeah. And so that notion that I was that naive and gung-ho woman, I mean, I'm still probably naive to a, a certain extent because I do believe in the best of people. I still do. I still do. I don't allow my experience to tell me or dictate to me that, oh, everybody's bad and everybody's out to get you. Because if you go looking for the bad, it's everywhere to be found. It's gonna, it, it, you've got to go looking for the good if you're going to break that cycle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I think that's really what it is. I think the people who are usually the ones who leave the workplaces, it's because we do have character. It's because we do have ethics. It's because we do want to see everyone thrive. We are the antithesis of what the bullies want and expect because they're in power. So we need to change the pendulum. The good people need to be on top and we need to be the ones to help dictate the culture. But I really believe it's just, you know, we see the best in people. And I believe there's also this notion that many of us who have been on the receiving end of abuse, we're like, well, that can't be going on. Your mind begins to play tricks with you. You're just kind of like, is that really what's happening? Did that happen? Did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? And you're playing this game in your own head. But that is where the mental illness comes into play because you are trying to make sense of something that is not meant to make sense. Abuse doesn't make sense. No matter how many times we try to explain it, no matter how many times we go, well, but we try to negate how we feel. We're trying to make sense of something that literally doesn't make sense. So you're spinning your wheels. And for me, I'll never forget it. It was this night. I was in my room while... Never forget, it was on the left hand side of the bed. And I was explaining to my husband what had been going on because every day it was something. And he just literally said, he goes, babe, he goes, I am just so hurt that you're going through this. I'm so tired of every single day. This is all you're talking about. This is all you're doing. This is all you're thinking about. And I was going down the rabbit hole of pain. I was just in so much pain. And so that night I just told my husband, I said, honey, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I never had necessarily ideas of suicide, but there were moments in my head where I kept thinking, how can I get out from this? Why can't someone listen to me? Why am I not getting the help that I need? And when I saw the therapist, she just literally said, you can't make sense of abuse because it's not supposed to be happening. So when she used the word abuse, a light bulb went off and I just started to see it for what it was. 
So then I went through two years of extensive therapy, trying to literally rewire my brain. And people don't take this seriously, but that's really what you have to do. I had to go through EMDR and rewire my brain to understand, was it me? No, it wasn't. Was it my fault? No, it wasn't. These people are who they are. They were not going to change. And that's when it just began to make sense for me. But the one moment at the office that I finally, even though all of these other egregious things had taken place, I'll never forget it was April 17th. Then I simply was during COVID. You're all working from home. And I got a tip from someone about a story I did. I sent it to the news director, the assistant news director, the executive producers, two executive producers, and the assignment editor. And in the course of the email exchange that they were having with one another about me, they inadvertently sent reply all and it came to me. And I called my husband. I said, I'm done. That was April 17th. And my last day was June 5th. But that was the moment when literally God said, girl, you're in danger. It was like the Whoopi Goldberg movie from Ghost where she's like, girl, you're in danger. Literally, I heard God say, how many times do I have to show you? Because he'd been showing me over, I mean, really 15 years, but it really got egregious in the last two and a half, three years when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2018. But that's when all of these things were just kind of happening just every single day. And when that moment happened and I responded, I said, I'm sure you didn't expect for me to get this email. And I forwarded it to the general manager and he never said a word. He didn't admonish this person. He didn't say anything to me. There was no, literally no accountability whatsoever. And that's when I said, I'm done. I'm done. And so I didn't know exactly when I would walk away. I just said, Lord, I need you to prepare my heart. And my heart that night, it was just confirmation. Oh, yeah. God said, girlfriend, please just trust me. So that was the small straw, if you will, such a small straw compared to all of the other egregious and unconscionable things that happened. But it was just that one little extra nugget. How would you advise people listening today who have a little feeling that something's not right for them, but they are doing exactly what you said. They're trying to make sense of it. What would you say to them? What should they be watching for? What actions should they take? What advice would you give to them listening today that go, oh, I think this might be me? Everyone's experience is different yet similar. Workplace abuse, even though your specific situation and what you're going through may be different from mine, it's all cut from the same playbook where it's ego-driven, it's narcissism. It's what's called the flying monkeys, where those who are in control, who have the power, when they don't want to hold themselves accountable, they deny, 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 gaslight, lie, more microaggressions, flip the script, blame you, and they get you in a tizzy to the point where you're like, is it just me? That's a big sign for me. And it should be a sign for anyone who is in a workplace where you're seeing this and it's constantly happening. No matter what you say and or do, They're putting you on performance reviews all of the time. And every single time, even though you're doing the work, they're creating and moving the bar every single time because they want to create what I call a paper trail. So they have reason to let you go or for you to fear that they might. And that's what happens. The fear and the fear of retaliation, the fear of speaking up is why people don't speak up. It's like, okay, well, let me just hang in there. It's not as bad because at the end of the day, People need their livelihoods. And I understand it. You absolutely do. And so I would say that's part of it. I would also highly recommend seeing someone on the outside who is objective, 
obviously I have my family and my mom and dad and my in-laws and my husband and, and very, very close friends. I believe when you hear from a total stranger who doesn't have kind of a dog in the fight, but they just want to hear you and they literally affirm that your experiences are clinically, clinically proven to have been caused by workplace abuse, that you are who you are and where you are emotionally because of the abuse, that's when you know it's time to walk away. But for me, that was huge because for so long, you know, your family will always take your side. I mean, they're going to always, you know, yeah. Yeah. they're concerning and prayerful. And yet I needed to make sure I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I just need one person because I know that this is something, but I can't put my finger on it. Why is this happening to me? And like I said, it was a light bulb moment. Workplace abuse, I never really heard of it. And so the more I have studied, the more that I am learning about it, it is a real thing. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've been so outspoken because I don't want anyone to go through this. Yeah. I do believe that we can bring humanity back because we have it within us. We are human beings. It's a choice. It is a choice. I also say, as you are moving forward, once you decide to leave, continue to be in that spirit of freedom, meaning make choices that are good for you. I am so much better now at deciding what I do, who I do it with, the people who I entertain, what I tell information to, how much I share with people. I am very clear about choosing happiness and joy. And if it doesn't make me feel good, if I feel something that's a little off, I still will give people the benefit of the doubt because again, I want people to grow. But I'm also about having very real, authentic, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations. And if people are unwilling to hear me, to listen, to empathize, to have compassion, to even change and see where they can grow, I don't have room for it. And so as a result, there have been a lot of people I've had to let go, people who I thought were dear, dear friends. And I've had to put them in a different category and just say, you know what, I can forgive but I don't forget because it, to forget means a lot of times to allow that behavior allow it back. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't go backwards. This is so good. It feels so good. I can't go back. Like nothing would ever drive me to go back to where I was before or to be in the environment like that. So I've had the blessing of being able to, when things come my way, I can say, mm, does it feel good? And if it doesn't, I listen to my spirit. I listen to my gut and I don't overthink it like I used to, I would just overthink and just play it over and over and over. And I'd talk about it to the, my husband and I were like blue in the face at four in the morning. We're still talking about it. We don't do that anymore. Now it's okay. This happened. Okay. All right. What are we going to do about it? Okay. And life goes on and we continue to love our lives and to find joy in the simple pleasures that we could never really pay attention to before because we are so mired in the muck of workplace drama. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful that God put us in a path together to have this conversation. I know it's blessing people. I see that spirit of joy and thriving on your face. And I know what that's like for my clients when they can get to that space. And that's the reason I'm writing this book and doing these conversations is we all deserve this. We We deserve it. Yes. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. You just have to know it's available to you. And let's create the kind of work environments that facilitate this for people. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. We all deserve it. I mean, it is our birthright. God put us on this earth for us and and he made us different for a reason. He did. 
It was found our fingerprints, all different. That's it. (laughs) Exactly. Even like the beach. Every time I go to the beach, I'm reminded of every time I see a seashell. Think about all of these shells on the beach. Not one is the same. They're all different. One purpose. But the collection of all of those seashells, the beauty of it, it's just magnificent. And it creates this beautiful tapestry. And that's what I believe the world should be. It's we're different, different languages, different backgrounds, cultures, experiences. But all of us together, collectively, we all win. We all win because I'm learning from you who's different from me. But because I'm learning from you, I'm growing as a person. I'm developing. I'm stretching myself. That's what life is supposed to be about. I don't have time for the drama anymore. I just don't. So yeah, so I tell people all the time, you know, choose you, choose joy, choose peace, choose freedom. It sometimes means to get there, you might have to make a very difficult choice. And I get it. I had to grieve. I had to grieve the idea of a pension. I had to grieve the idea of retiring in my hometown. I had to grieve the fact that I couldn't say goodbye to the community that gave me so much. I had to grieve all of those moments because they're real. They were expectations and dreams in my human moments, human moments. And God literally said, just grieve it. It's okay. I know it hurts. It's painful, but I promise you, I'm going to give you better than the best life. It's going to be better than, than you could have ever imagined. And it's true. Does it mean that everything is perfect? No, but I have an unwavering faith every single day when I wake up. Nothing literally affects me. There's nothing anyone can say or do to me that will have me walk away from the path that I'm on. I know that this is part of my purpose. People would ask me all the time, Rebecca, they would say, what's the biggest story in your career? What's your best story? What's your favorite story? And I would never, I never would tell people because I believe that everyone's story is important. Everybody has a story to tell. All of us, which is why, again, I love the business of journalism because everyone has a story to tell. And I can learn from your story just as much as someone can learn from my story. But I would you be to rank those and rate those? That's not your job. That's not my job. (laughs) Yeah. But now for the first time in my life, when someone says, what's your number one story? And my response is my story. Mm -hmm. My that's, story. That's it. That's People, it. we got to go. Mic drop. That's it. <laughs> Mike is dropped. Mike is dropped. It's my story. Mm. I never could have imagined that God would use what happened to me and inspire me in such a way to become an advocate. I never asked for this. I never wanted this. I've always been that one where, you know, even though I'm in the public eye, I'm still very much an introvert. You know, I love what I do. I love telling other people's stories. But for so long, we're told, you're not the story. And that's right. The tenet of the journalism field is not about us. I'm not here to tell you my stories and my woes. This is about you. So I have grown up loving that and living it for all of these years, for over almost 35 years. So now when people say, what's the number one story? I'm like, it's mine. It's my story. My story talks to everyone, every race, creed, background, culture, it doesn't discriminate. It's not for a black woman or not just for a white woman. It's for everyone. Yet as a black woman, there's different things that we have to deal with and there are different discussions that we have to have within our own culture. And that's okay. But at the end of the day, this is all about how do we take the collection of who we are as a people, how God made us and learn to work together and thrive together because he wants all of us to thrive. That is our birthright. It's not a privilege. It's the birthright for every single human being. 
And I think there is a special time, a special place in the age of humanity for women. The verse Esther 414 has been in my face for a year for such Mm -hmm. a time as this. And I think that the compassion that a woman is gifted with in our DNA to bring life into this world and care for it and keep it safe is the same kind of approach that the world needs today. So we as women, this is our time, not because we are in competition, like you said, but because we have special powers around connection and compassion that the world needs. That's one of the gifts that God gave women. He gave us the spirit and I believe the ministry of service and compassion and feelings and love. The men have it too, but there is a special, I think it's a special gift that God has given women. And think about it, the women's suffrage. I mean, so many different uh, moments in history. I mean, women have been at the helm. We have made things change. And I believe this is another scenario for us as women to lead the way, to lead the way with kindness, to lead the way with compassion. And not think it's not businessy enough. Yeah. Kindness is what makes the businesses run better. Don't run away from it. Bring it. I think about that all the time. You know, if I'm ever in a position where I have a whole bunch of employees, I can't wait to lead that team. Well, what is next? So obviously people want to stay connected to you. They've heard you today. They're inspired. So LinkedIn, you do amazing things there and sharing stories. Where else would you like people to gather around you and stay connected to you? No, I'm always available on, you know, all the social media platforms. But I mean, in terms of like what's going on in my own personal life, I'm just open to the universe. Things literally, when I say fall in my lap, things have fallen in my lap. I'm not pushing for anything. I'm not angling. I'm just like, Lord, if it's meant for me, you will allow it, the door to open and for me to walk through so easily and gingerly that I know it's from you. You can see me on HSN. I'm an HSN brand ambassador. So I represent different brands from time to time. So you can see me now internationally. I'm all over the world talking about home decor and clothing and things of that nature. So I love doing that. So they call me and say, hey, Andrea, we got a brand who wants you to, and I'm like, I'm here. So I love doing that because I love interior design. That's always been kind of like a little side hustle and passion of mine. So that's been a lot of fun. And I'm just, I'm living, I'm living in Florida. I'm on the beach pretty much every other day, whenever I can. I'm resting. I still am resting. Finally, I did my body a disservice because I continued to work through chemo. And of course, you know, right after the surgery, working through radiation, I worked the entire year and a half as I was undergoing immunotherapy treatments. And so my body is still tired, but I feel better than ever just because I'm in a different environment that really is protective and it, it makes me feel good. I get a lot of great natural vitamin D. My son is thriving. He's in doing well in school academically and athletically. My husband is thriving. We are literally living. And my husband says every day, he goes, sometimes I can't believe we're living here. He goes, like, I'm just driving home over the Sunshine Parkway, just looking at the bay and the water. And people are just so nice. And I think there's something to be said about the vitamin D here. I lived in Florida for a while. I agree. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just think people are warmer here because they are warmer, literally. Literally. (laughs) Literally warmer. So they're figuratively warmer. But yeah, I just, I love it. Like every day I'm like, hey, what's going to happen today? Who will I meet today? I've been at the pet store and the guy up in Nokomis when I'm getting the dog food, I look forward to seeing him as well. But we have the best conversations just about anything random. And he always says, every time you come in, you're just so happy and you make me happy. That's what I'm talking about. That's humanity for me is that 
It doesn't matter who I meet. I don't know a stranger. I just have a conversation. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm going to let the light of God continue to carry me through. And I believe that people see that because they also want it for themselves. They just don't know that it's available and possible because we live in this world of everything has to be fast and immediate. We're not taking time to connect and it's go, 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 go. And at the end of the day, people, everyone, doesn't matter. We all want to be seen and heard and valued. And so if we take the time out just to be in our skin, to feel ourselves, to feel the moments, the simple pleasures of life, something as simple as just driving. And for me, it's looking at palm trees and being smiling. And I've caught people looking at me at a light and they smile because they're watching me smile. I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And just imagine if we did more of that, just being our authentic selves, loving people, loving people for who they are, working with them through their moments and even their mess, and even my moments and my mess, and having compassion for one another, and being kind to one another, and working together. It sounds so simple. It is simple. We just have to choose to do it. We have to be intentional about doing it. And so I am intentional. My family and friends will tell you, Andrew doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do. I don't have conversations about a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't involve Amen, sister. Yeah, I'm like, that's not my business. I don't. I'm not a gossiper. That's just not who I am. So I love my life. I want more people to love their lives. You know, at the end of the day, this is all we have. We only have this one life on this earth. And I just don't want to waste it. I don't have time to waste it anymore. And that's what I was doing. I was wasting my time and effort in an environment that was no longer serving me. And it's okay to walk away. It's okay to walk away. So glad that you did so you can share that with everyone else. It makes me think of the Mary Oliver quote, what are you going to do with this one precious life? And you've made some really intentional decisions about it. And that's beautiful. Thank you for being a light. Thank you for being here. I'm a talker and a chatter. So I'm I'm sorry if I- Girl, that's why we invited you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. It's I know it's inspiring and changing the lives of others. You're so welcome. You're so, so very welcome. And for anyone who's listening, just take care of yourself. You got it. You have it within yourself to take your life back and to live the life that you've always wanted and that you deserve. It is your birthright to thrive. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. And then you can go to RebeccaFleetwoodHessian.com and join the Badass Women's Council. And if you really want to take a deeper dive, join the movement of a thousand thriving women. There's amazing Thrive tools there for you today. Love you, mean it. I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all, fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian. And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land.